and from Saskatoon. Uh, if you aren't aware of us, we've been uh, affiliated with the church here for as long as you've been around and, uh, and have had some exciting things happen. We've just relocated in the midst of COVID into a brand new campus. And so in January, we started, uh, we started there and uh, have been doing like everybody else, doing com combination of on-site and online uh, live streaming uh, since then. Uh, but uh, one of the other exciting things that's happening, one of our growth uh, mechanisms is we're looking to partner with local churches to plant learning hubs in different places with different churches that want to, uh, to stream in our, our content and interact with our students. And so uh, LGF is one of the churches that, uh, that is, is looking at doing that even, uh, even by this fall. So if you are feeling like you would like to study a little bit with us, uh, then you may be able to do that right here. How exciting is that, hey? <laughs> Woo. All right, good. Well, uh, in fact, I'm going to give you an opportunity to study with us uh, right now because uh, Pastor Daryl invited us here uh, because I guess you guys are, are doing a bit of a study on, on doctrine and things. And so, uh, so Pastor Daryl invited us here and, and wanted to... Uh, and wanted me to, to speak into that series a little bit uh, and to, to let you know what it's like to study at a more formal level. So there is a test at the end of the sermon today. And uh, if you don't pass, you don't get lunch. So, uh, so you pay attention. No, but, uh, but we are, we are going to look this morning at, uh, at Jesus. And we're going to look at, at the divinity of Jesus. And, and, and is Jesus God? Is, uh, is the question that, uh, that Pastor Darrell was asked me to deal with and think about the divinity of Christ. Uh, and, and as I was reflecting on that, I thought, okay, that's good. Uh, I'm assuming that if you are either here in person or taking the time to, to view this online, uh, that you're at least aware that by and large Christians have this weird idea that Jesus is God. So that's probably not going to be new to you. Um, you may not know exactly how that all fits together, but lots of people don't. Uh, but that's, that's, that's sort of an assumption that, uh, that we're going to make going, going forward. But, but what really strikes me as the, the more important question is not just if we can say, yeah, well, we know that Jesus is God. Uh, what does it matter that Jesus is God? We can say that this is a belief that we have as followers of Jesus. Jesus is divine. But to be crass about it, who cares? What difference does that make? And if it doesn't make a difference in our lives, then that's, that's a challenge, I think, for us. And that's the challenge I'm going to give us today. But first, we are going to play a little game. And those who are watching online, you can play the game too. So you can use your chat function here. All right, because we want, we're, we're thinking about what, what difference do things make. So we're going we're gonna to take a look at some slides and we're going to see what difference do, do these things make. So ready online, you can put this in the chat, which you prefer, and we'll, we'll do a vocal call here. So what difference here, first thing in the morning when you get out of bed? Does it make a difference? Coffee or tea? Yes, it makes a difference. All those who say coffee? 
All those who say T. Well, I lived, I lived in Scotland for a few years, and I can tell you that after church in Scotland, they had a little carafe of instant coffee and a gigantic vat of tea. So it does matter where you lived. All right, so coffee or tea, what difference does it make? How about the next one? Does this make a difference? Oh, I see. I feel some passion. Shout it out. What, did it, what is the difference? Oh, we're going to have to come in and do some... Uh, there's a division in the church, I sense, here. <laughs> there we go. The, yeah, ginger ale. There you, nobody's saying water. Okay. The next one will have no division whatsoever, I'm sure. <laughs> right. Does it make a difference? Okay. All right. I'm from Calgary, but I'll just stop talking now. It doesn't mean anything. I didn't say anything. Just letting you know. Little FYI, um, but I would never cheer for Edmonton. So anyway, um, what about what about this? So we looked at these first ones. Um, now now let's uh, let's think a little bit deeper. If it's uh, the end of the month, you've worked hard and it's payday. Does this matter? What difference does this make? That's a big difference. How about um, um, you're from Saskatchewan or Alberta? Regardless, you live here, and you've had winter here. Anybody ever have to get a boost? Yes. Anybody ever have to replace a battery in the car? Yes. Does it make a difference? Yes. Right, right. Um, okay, uh, you're in an airplane because you go in there with your buddies, and this is the thing you've always wanted to do. Does it make a difference? I would suggest that the, the first ones we looked at were of a different order than the second ones that we looked at. Uh, so Coke and Pepsi is a difference, but really we're talking about a preference. If you're going to jump out of an airplane, it really matters that you're not wearing Dora the Explorer on the way down. That's a different type of, of difference. And, and I, think, um, I think often we mistake our preferences for meaningful differences. We have our preferences, but we mistake them for meaningful differences. And when it comes to Jesus, I think sometimes we might do the same thing. We might treat our understanding of Jesus in the same way. We might treat it on the level of a preference rather than on the level of a meaningful difference. And so what we want to do uh, in the short time we have this morning is, uh, is we're going to just start with the question about, about Jesus is God uh, and spend, spend a few minutes just kind of looking at establishing that. Uh, it's kind of assumed, I said earlier, you know, if you're, if you're tracking with us, you probably, you probably at least understand that Christians think this. Uh, but I'll, I'll, give you some, I'll give you some tips on how you can find that in there. And, but then I want to spend the rest of our time unpacking, well, so what? If he's God, so what? What does that mean? What did it mean to those first followers of Jesus? So to start with... Um, 
To start with, I'm going to give you a, the quick, I mean, we, could, we could do a whole course on this, but instead I'm going to give you the quick, uh, the quick cheat sheet version of, if I want to find out, is Jesus God in the Bible, where do I look? And I'm going to give you uh, three ones and a two to figure that out. By which I mean three ones, you got John 1, Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1, and then 1, 2. Philippians 2. So we'll look at these quickly. There's lots more where this came from, but I can see beyond the masks that you're already thinking about lunch. So we won't do that. So let's just look at these, these texts together, and then, and then uh, we'll move on. So, so the first, John 1, 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So here we start with this idea. Jesus is the word. The word was with God. The word was God. John just says it outright. And through the word, through Jesus, everything in creation is made. He's above it all. He's been made. Everything is made through that. Now, even skeptics will acknowledge that John is saying Jesus is God. Then they'll try to say, wow, that all came later. They made that up afterwards. Uh, but, but they'll at least acknowledge it's there. So that's, that's our one one. Our second one, we'll go from John to Colossians. Now, Colossians is written a lot earlier than John. And here, there's this, there's this beginning part there, and I've taken a piece out of it, where it talks similarly to John about Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So in Jesus, Jesus is before everything. He's over all things. Through Jesus, everything that is, is being sustained. So here's this, this passage that the earliest followers of Jesus uh, were familiar with this thinking, and they said, yeah, Jesus. Jesus is above all. Jesus is given these characteristics of God, the creator. Okay, one more one, Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to us through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. We have here a third passage that talks about Jesus as existing before creation, as the one who, through whom all creation was made, and sustaining all things. This is not just a carpenter's kid in Galilee. There's a lot more going on here. Now what's interesting about those three passages I just shared 
with you is that they were actually the early version of Hillsong worship. Um, but they were, they were early Christian hymns. They were kind of poetry. Uh, so the earliest followers of Jesus, mostly they couldn't read. They communicated a lot to remember things by, by singing and worship. And this showed up in early Christian worship. These three passages we looked at, all of them were, were like worship songs talking about Jesus. And that's an important point because it's not just, a lot of times, especially skeptics, will look at things and say, oh, well, they, you know, this, this point is different and that point's different and they, they didn't all come together and this all was later, later than everybody thinks. But what's, what's crucial to recognize is that this isn't just about how they articulated a doctrine. This is how they practiced what they believed. And the practice came first. Like the blind man that Jesus healed in John. The blind man gets healed and, uh, and the, the enemies of Jesus go after him and say, you know, hey, who did this and who is this guy? And the blind man says, you know what? I don't know who he is. I can't explain everything about him. But I was blind and now I see. And I'm in. <laughs> I believe. They first, they first knew, hey, this is bigger than I can imagine. And then afterwards, after they had that revelation, then they could try to figure out how to make sense of it and articulate it. So it's kind of backwards to, to, to try to find, well, what's the finished articulation point? And that's the point at which we can say what they believe. No, they put this stuff into practice. The earliest followers of Jesus were worshiping Jesus, even if they didn't fully grasp what that meant. This, uh, this last one here, this is our, our two, is from Philippians chapter 2, and it also is a hymn. It is also a, some type of a song. Maybe it's a chorus. I don't know. Anyway, hymns, chorus. Uh, here, here Paul says, he's talking about Jesus. He says, and then he quotes this worship song, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited or grasped after or, or made to his own advantage. But rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a slave, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And as you, as you read this, this is almost like a story, like a movie script, where, you know, the hero starts, everything's good, and then bad stuff happens, and bad stuff happens, and bad stuff happens, and it gets to the worst point, and then there's going to be a turnaround and a big crescendo up the other side, and that's what happens here. So he's death on a cross, and then, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, Jesus is the answer in school and Sunday, right? There we go. Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge or confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Lord to the glory of God the Father. What's interesting about this last hymn, this last chorus, is that the last two verses, verses 10 and 11, are are taken over from the Old Testament. They're taken over from the book of Isaiah in chapter 45. And if you compare Isaiah and, and Philippians, you see uh, that what this hymn is doing is it's replacing the name of God, of Yahweh, with Jesus, which is remarkable. If you read Isaiah 45, and you can do that 
after lunch. It'd be like your extra spiritual, it's your homework. <laughs> it's homework for class today. Read Isaiah 45. So you read that throughout Isaiah 45, God says again and again and again, I am God, there's no other God. I am God, there's no other God. There is no other God but me. There is no other God but me. There's one God and I'm it. He says it again and again and again and again and again. There's only one God and I'm it. And he's combating any view that there's more than one God. This is a major text for Jews living in, well, all of the societies they lived in, in Babylon, but in Rome, in Jesus and Paul's day, living in occupied Rome where everybody had idols. Everybody had gods. There was no shortage of gods. And if, and if you needed a new god, no problem. And if you had a god from your own culture, by all means, bring on over. We're happy to include the gods. No shortage of gods. Except for the Jews said there's only one god, and we have to reject all these other ones. And this passage is one of the major places where they said, hey, only one god. And along come these followers of Jesus, and they say, yes, only one God, and we worship that one God through Jesus. And they take this passage, and they replace God's name with Jesus' name. That is remarkable. So there's, there's lots, and we could do a whole lot on that. But this is enough, I think, just to say that the early followers of Jesus uh, did, did believe that Jesus is God, uh, if you really want to uh, learn a little bit about this, I'm going to give you your textbook for the course. All right, so here's a book for you. Uh, I recommend N.T. Wright, Simply Jesus. It's an accessible book. He's, it's written for, for people to kind of get this, and he's a, a prominent scholar, and you can, uh, you can read that. There's lots of other things, but that's a great place to start if you really want to dig deeper into this. And uh, I will collect essays next week. So have them ready for me, please. Or Pastor Daryl can send them on. He's going to do the first essay. But the early, earliest believers worshipped Jesus as God. Even if they didn't fully grasp, what does all this mean? I mean, we still wrestle with how do we make sense of this. But even if they couldn't totally make sense of it, they did it. He was in their worship. They worshipped Jesus as God. But so what? Okay, so they worship Jesus as God. So what? What difference does that make? Well, I think it makes a big difference. And we want to look at how, what difference it did make to those first followers of Jesus. And we, while we're looking at them, we want to be thinking about us. If it made this kind of a difference to them, we need to be asking ourselves, okay, well, what kind of difference is that making for me? And for us as a community. So we'll look at, at three, three differences because you always do things in threes, right? That's the way it all works out. We could do more, but we're going to do three. All right, so, so the first is if worshiping Jesus as God introduces exclusive and universal truth. Worshiping Jesus as God introduces exclusive and universal truth. A couple of passages, and I'll, and I'll talk about that. So in John 14, 6, Jesus says to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
And when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples after Jesus ascended and they started to preach in the book of Acts, they would say salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to humankind by which we might be saved. Jesus, if Jesus is God, it introduces something exclusive but also something universal. And what I mean by that is it's something exclusive, which means that this is it. This is actually truth, real truth, not you have your truth and I have my truth. I try to tell my kids, don't ever use the my, this is my truth thing on me because that is not going anywhere. <laughs> your truth, my truth, this is the Jesus truth. This is the Jesus who is over and above all things. But it's exclusive, and that's really uncomfortable in our society today, as does it was really uncomfortable in the first followers of Jesus' society, too. Rome was pluralistic. Rome would accommodate any number of gods, could easily treat Jesus as an add-on. No problem to treat Jesus as an add-on in Roman world. But when you treat Jesus as an exclusive as in, I'm not going to worship your gods. I'm only going to worship this one through Jesus. Uh, that becomes exclusive. It's also universal, which means it's exclusive, but it's not okay to say, hey, you're good. What you've got, your truth is good for you, and my truth is good for me. It doesn't allow that. If Jesus is God, then his truth is universal. It means it's not just locally my own truth. It's actually true for everybody, whether they know it or not. And that's what inspires the first disciples to go out and tell people the good news about Jesus. Because if it wasn't universal, if it really didn't matter, they shouldn't have had to bother. So it's, it's exclusive and universal. Secondly, worshiping Jesus as God requires relinquishing our personal rights and a complete change of behaviors. Relinquishing our personal rights and a complete change of behaviors. Again, a couple of texts. So in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and they are talking about their rights. It's my right to. It's my right to. And Paul says, you know, lots of things are permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Lots of things are permissible, but not everything is okay. Even if it's legal, that doesn't mean it's okay. And he finishes the argument by pointing out that don't you know that your bodies and when Paul uses the word body, and we can do this in another sermon some other time, uh, he's not talking about something different from your soul. Or your he's just talking about you. Don't you know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. When we look at Paul in other places, and this is something that is a disturbing thought some, in some ways. Um, 
in our, in our world. But the way that Paul frames it, when we look at Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, he talks about how we have been liberated from sin. We've been freed from sin. And the people say, Amen, Amen because I'm free, right? It's all about me being free. I'm free in Christ. Except that's not what Paul says. He says, you're no longer a slave to sin, a slave to death. Now, you're not free. Now you're a slave to God, a slave to righteousness. The status of slave for us doesn't change. What changes is the master. We are slaves. And we're either blindly or willingly a slave to sin and death. Or we are consciously and obediently a slave to God and Christ. But what we aren't ever is us. Hey, Jesus freed me to do whatever I want. If you think you're doing whatever you want, you're either operating as a slave to sin or a slave to God and righteousness. There's no just you. You've been bought with a price. The second, the long, the long passage in Colossians, Paul is talking to his Roman converts, his, his pagan converts, and he gives a whole list of the things they used to do that were totally legit in Roman society. Not just legit, totally expected. You were expected to go out and have debaucherous orgies and revelry because that was part of celebrating, that was part of the gods you worshipped. Bacchus commanded it, you got out, this was part of being a good citizen. And what Paul says is, you used to do those things, but you can't walk in them any longer. You used to be this way, but you can't do that now. And if Jesus is God, then it radically changes how we behave, and it radically changes how we exercise what we think are our own rights. But we really don't have rights. We got two masters. We're going to do the will of one or the other. Finally, worshiping Jesus as God exacts social and personal costs. The first followers of Jesus were Jewish. And the Jewish followers of Jesus, just like the Jewish non-followers of Jesus, believed in one God. And there they were in Roman society where everybody had lots of gods. And so the Jewish peoples, both followers of Jesus and not, could agree that we needed to get on with not having not following any other gods. But when the Jewish followers of Jesus started showing up at synagogue, like the church service, and saying, hey, we're worshiping the one God, we're in there with you, and we're doing it through Jesus, you can guess how that went over. It did not go over well. And so Jesus says this in, in John 16, 2. He says, talking to his disciples, they're going to put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. And we see it in Acts. We hear Paul talking about getting chased out of synagogue. Uh, and, and this seems to have happened. Because we believe in one God. Well, we believe in one God too. Yeah, but you're worshiping Jesus. Yeah, worshiping God through Jesus. That doesn't make sense to me. Well, it is what it is. Jesus, he's raised from the dead. Because they worshiped. Jesus. So the Jewish followers of Jesus lost family, they lost their communities, they were ostracized, and as we know from Acts, Paul, before he 
followed Jesus was persecuting the church. The other side is this picture. This is not a picture drawn by one of my kids. This is, and this was at the opening slide, this is a picture I put in here um, that historically is the earliest depiction of Jesus that we ha own, or that we have ever found. This is graffiti. So the graffiti on the toilet walls, 2,000 years from now, is going to become really interesting to some scholar. But this is, this is graffiti, and it's, it's, it says in Greek, Alexamenos worshiping his God. And the picture of the god that this person named Alex Amenos is worshiping is a man on a cross with a donkey head. And the donkey head being a means of diminishing and ridiculing Jesus. So what happened to these Romans? So the Jews get kicked out of synagogue. The Romans, who no longer participate in the orgies and no longer participate in sacrificing to idols, they're ridiculed. They're shunned. Eventually, they are put to death because they also won't worship the emperor. And so there's a social consequence to following Jesus. If Jesus is God, there is a consequence to it. And so this is, this is what I want to, to leave us with here this morning. We can say as Christians, yeah, yeah, Jesus is God. But if we mean that, if we mean that, if that's meaningful in any way similar to the way it was meaningful to the first followers of Jesus, then it's not enough for Jesus to be an add-on. It's not enough for Jesus uh, simply to, to be part of our life, uh, but really we're in charge. And we can show up on the weekend, put in our time in the service, and Jesus doesn't have any part of our lives outside of that. If Jesus is God, then it probably is going to result in some sort of consequence. What meaningful difference does it make? If Jesus is God, what meaningful difference does that make to your life? So I want to leave us with that thought, thinking through some of our earliest followers of Jesus thinking through what that means for us. I want to thank you so much for having us with you here. I'll pass it back over to Pastor Daryl. But God bless you, and, uh, and thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Martini. Uh, I know it's been, it's been good. I know that you maybe had your brain stretched a little bit. And uh, that is absolutely fine. Appreciate you coming. Appreciate the students being here with us this morning. Uh, church, you, you need to know that normally when the Bible college would come, we would host them. We would ask you to take one or two in your house, and we would feed them. Uh, we couldn't do that, and we can't do that because of the restrictions upon us. So the students have come. They've stayed in a hotel room. Dr. Martini stayed in a hotel room. Uh, they had to buy their own food. And you know what? Although they had to, we can do something about that. We want to take an offering this morning for the Bible College. And if you'd like to use the text to give, you can do so uh, on the slide down menu. Instead of choosing missions, just click other.
and simply put to Bible college. If you'd like to use an envelope in the pocket in front of you, you can do so. Uh, because I don't think that they should have to cover their hotel costs or their food costs to come and minister to us. We've greatly been ministered to this morning through the worship and the word. And also we have a college that we need to be supporting. And I believe that uh, greater things are in store as we invest in our college. Amen? As we invest in the, in the training of future leaders. As you heard Dr. Martini say, they moved to campuses. That doesn't come cheap. Um, you know, we want to be mindful of that as well. So as you give, give us unto the Lord, but allow God to speak to your heart and say, God, what would you have me give? If you came this morning and you're not prepared to give, that's absolutely fine. They didn't say you have to cover these costs. But you can do so even at a later date. You can simply give to the Bible College later on as well. Uh, but if you are prepared this morning to give, we want to say thank you for that. Thank you, Baba College. Uh, thank you, students. Thank you, Dr. Martini. We would like to pray a blessing upon them this morning before they leave. But would you please stand, students and Dr. Martini, and let's just stretch a hand towards them and, and pray God's blessings upon them. Father, we thank you for these students. Lord, as you're shaping each one of their lives. Father, as you're molding them into who you want them to be, we thank you, Father, for, for the great work of our Bible college. We thank you, Father, for the instruction that is happening to mold and, and shape these lives, Lord, for ministry. And, Lord, we thank you for the fruit that will come as a result of that. Lord, we thank you for Dr. Martini as he leads the, our college. Father, we thank you for him. I pray, Lord, that you would give him wisdom, Lord. Uh, God, that you would give him insight and creativity, and I, I know that he has those already, but Lord, I pray for them to be doubled in, in portion. Lord, that you would use him mightily. God, for the other faculty members of which he represents today, we pray that you would bless each one, Lord. Have your hands upon them. We thank you, Father, for a good college that trains young leaders to do the work of the ministry. So Lord, would you have your hands upon them, be with them as they would travel home. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, students. And thank you for being with us. Thank you, Dr. Martini, for a good word. If you missed it, it is online. You can rewatch it at any time. God bless you. Thanks for coming this morning. Oh, the Bible College has a table set at the back. If you have some, some questions, I encourage you to ask one of the students. Ask Dr. Martini. They'll be happy to answer your questions this morning.